Welcome to Monticello Podcasts, where we look at various aspects of Monticello, Thomas Jefferson, and the work of the Thomas Jefferson Foundation, which has owned and operated Monticello since 1923. I'm Chad Wollerton, Monticello's webmaster. One of the best ways to study the early days of the United States is to study one of its most integral figures. Throughout his lifetime, Thomas Jefferson touched nearly all aspects of civic and academic life in the young country he helped found. To help facilitate and encourage worldwide scholarship on Jefferson, the Thomas Jefferson Foundation created the Robert H. Smith International Center for Jefferson Studies. Radio producer Sean Tubbs recently stopped by for a visit. The Robert H. Smith International Center for Jefferson Studies was created in 1994 to encourage deep study of the ideas of Thomas Jefferson and the context in which he helped form the nation. As director of the center, Andrew O'Shaughnessy oversees an array of scholarly endeavors that includes Monticello's archaeology, education, and research departments, an effort to edit and publish all of Jefferson's papers from his retirement years, and a fellowship program that brings researchers from around the world to study at the center's Jefferson Library. The center also publishes books on various topics for both a general and scholarly audience. This is essentially the uh, research center for Monticello. Uh, We like to say that research drives our mission of education and preservation and is quite unique in the amount of resources that we devote to research at a historic site. We now have a library here, which is like um, a presidential library for a a founder, uh, which there is no similar library for any other of the founders. There's no George Washington Library, no John Adams Library, uh, no Monroe Library, uh, This is very unusual. O'Shaughnessy says Jefferson is unique because of his authorship of the Declaration of Independence and because the country doubled in size during his presidency. His ideas, as well as his actions, are worth studying. Jefferson wrote the mission statement of the United States in the Declaration of Independence. Uh, He described it as attempting to reflect the American mind, and I think that's what makes him um, so important. One of the center's missions is to encourage the study of Jefferson across the world. Since 1994, over 125 scholars from around the globe have spent time as ICGS fellows, experiencing Thomas Jefferson firsthand. O'Shaughnessy says Jefferson is known throughout the world as the author of America's founding document, which was a radical departure from other governmental structures at the time. Government is based on consent, that all men are created equal. Uh, Republicanism was very radical in uh, Europe, whereas here in America it became very mainstream and ultimately uh, helped to define the, uh, the new system of government. A lot of the ideas of the revolution were derived from, from Britain, uh, and Jefferson drew his inspiration obviously from people like John Locke, uh, but also from early 17th century and mid-17th century thinkers like Algernon Sidney. But did Jefferson's ideas evolve over time as the problems of his nation grew and as others followed in its footsteps? For instance, while serving as minister to France, Jefferson witnessed much of the build-up to that country's revolution. That's of interest to ICGS fellow Philip Zischer, a German national and Ph.D. candidate at Yale University. His dissertation is on Americans in Paris during the French Revolution, specifically how the French Revolution caused Americans to rethink their own revolution. Americans found that much of what they saw in Paris was similar to what they had experienced at home, and which is very different to our understanding of the two revolutions, which is 
which are commonly seen as being very different. And, but it, you know, throughout the decade, um, obviously the American and the French Revolution developed in different ways, in different directions, but both were ultimately about creating um, a national community and, and a nation out of um, you know, very different, very diverse populations. Zisha's work has been aided by direct study of Jefferson at Monticello. Working with the renowned scholar Peter Onuf, Zisha says that Jefferson played a key role in the French Revolution. When he was still minister to France uh, in Paris in uh, 1789, he was involved in the drafting of the Declaration of the Rights of Man, and he was um, you know, called on by Lafayette to help broker uh, a deal between competing factions in the National Assembly uh, about the new, with regard to the new French constitution. Um, but the French Revolution played a really critical and central part in Jefferson's thinking about um, nationhood and about uh, America's place in the world. Zisha has been reading Jefferson's correspondence from the time to track firsthand how his thoughts changed. And the International Center for Jefferson Studies has allowed him to immerse himself in the study of the man. And that's the point of the center, according to director Andrew O'Shaughnessy, who says scholars from emerging democracies are interested in learning from the Jeffersonian experience. Vaclav Havel, for example, in the Czech Republic, uh, specifically cited Jefferson and America as a source of inspiration uh, in founding the more democratic uh, Czech Republic. Uh, They're often interested in uh, how Jefferson uh, conceived uh, a new republic, uh, in how to found a nation, uh, how to uh, help uh, a brittle form of uh, democracy, uh, and they draw inspiration from Jefferson. But, of course, scholars are always interested in ideas for their own sake as well. Uh, So sometimes the subjects people look at are quite arcane. Jefferson's interest was so broad. There's so many different uh, aspects of his life that people can uh, study. And obviously there's tremendous interest in his uh, architectural work um, and his uh, building of the University of Virginia, uh, obviously Monticello uh, itself. Uh, interest in his uh, gardens and uh, his own interest in uh, horticulture, for example. And this makes bringing the diverse kinds of departments together under the center all the more important, especially for its visiting fellows. But O'Shaughnessy says looking back at the past is not always rosy. There was very little discussion of uh, Jefferson and slavery, say, in the early uh, 20th century. And Essentially, with the growth of the civil rights movement, uh, there's been more and more attention to uh, Jefferson's ownership of slaves as well as that of the other founders. It's certainly one of the most controversial aspects of his life is the fact that he owned slaves and that he wrote that all men were created uh, equal. And it's an issue that uh, modern historians feel that they must struggle with. Uh, There's still quite a lot more new work to do And most of the work done so far looks at Jefferson's attitudes to slavery. We're now looking more at Jefferson's slaves themselves and the life here on the plantation at Monticello. Uh, We have more records about slaves than almost any other plantation. We can talk about individual slaves, and that's almost unique. 
no, they are so various, the topics. Uh, we had uh, a scholar from Tasmania who was interested in slaves that ran away during the American Revolution and joined the British. And specifically, she looked at the founder slaves, um, and obviously uh, Jefferson was a major component of her work. Uh, and what she was demonstrating is that uh, these slaves, contrary to what Jefferson claimed, had gone largely of their own free will. They were not re-enslaved uh, in the West Indies, but ended up as freemen in places like Nova Scotia, in London, and even in Australia. But, uh, we had one well-known historian who was interested as to whether slaves owned guns or whether there were any guns among uh, slaves. I mean, Michael Belisles, in his very controversial book on gun ownership, had claimed that no slaves had guns. Uh, so we did a search for evidence of uh, guns, archaeological evidence, and indeed found that there was evidence, uh, and he was able to support that additionally with documentary material showing that slaves at different times at least a few slaves were armed. O'Shaughnessy predicts we can expect many more books to be written about Jefferson and his slaves, much of it due to the research and analysis being performed at Monticello. Another area of ongoing interest with scholars is Jefferson's attitudes towards religion. He uh, was willing to accept the idea of a divine being, um, but uh, very much in the as a deist. Uh, uh, he did not, he rejected a lot of traditional ideas of Christianity. He didn't believe in the Trinity. Uh, he rejected the miracle stories. He famously did his own edition of the Bible, cutting out uh, sections of the New Testament that he thought um, unlikely uh, and unreasonable. Because Jefferson was so prolific, 19,000 of his letters are on record. The possible areas of study for ICGS fellows can be broad. Catherine Waltz is a current fellow writing about the link between early American history painting and early American political culture. She says a great deal of sophistication is evident in the imagery used in paintings from the late 18th and early 19th centuries. Basically, they've just been um, thought of as um, depictions from the Revolutionary War, or mythological um, depictions that really have no political content. And it turns out that almost every one of these artists that I'm looking at, Charles Wilson Peel, John Vanderlyn, uh, Washington Alston, they all had patrons who had deep political convictions, and so did the artists. And so I'm re-looking at these paintings and trying to tease out the uh, political context. Then with Jefferson, some of that you can see at play in his art collection. Um, he was most closely affiliated with Charles Wilson Peale. I'm um, looking at a painting from 1808 called Exhumation of the Mastodon, and <laughs> everyone knows how Jefferson was interested in the Mastodon. Well, uh, Peale did a painting of the Exhumation of the Mastodon, and um, to this date it's been interpreted as simply that. But if you look at the um, political rhetoric of the time, and the elements that Peel puts in that painting, you can discuss it as um, the triumph of Jeffersonian republicanism. Some fellows at the center come from closer to home. Brian Murphy is a student at the University of Virginia. He wants to know how corporate charters of the late 18th century helped contribute to the formation of America's political parties. The, the focal point of my study is how Jefferson got elected in 1800 and how Aaron Burr started a bank that ended up being very critical to the Republican victories in 1800. Um, but it was initially charted as a water company. And it's this great story of 
Burr pulling the great, sort of one of the greatest corporate tricks in the 19th century to uh, get a water company turned into a bank that then turned into an electioneering outfit for the Republicans. And a lot of these, a lot of the chapters that I'm working on are sort of like that. They're about either banks or I'm looking at uh, ferry boat monopolies and I'm looking at uh, the building of the Erie Canal. And so they're all, they all kind of look like business stories on the face of them or they look like, you know, the typical sort of internal improvement story that you'd find, you know, building a highway, building a road, building a canal. Um, but I'm trying to relate it to political parties and show how, um, you know, the more you get involved in chartering corporations and in doing these things, uh, the more people you end up drawing into politics. And once that happens, they need to find ways to get things done and to interact with people who have already been elected. And uh, the easiest way to do that is to form a party and help people get reelected. Murphy says studying this kind of history adds a lot of depth to the current understanding of what Jefferson's motivations were in national politics. In print, Jefferson is often very, uh, is perceived as being very hostile to banks or very suspicious of corporations. Uh, But when they're Republican corporations and they're held by Republicans and governed by Republicans and owned by Republicans, uh, Jefferson finds ways to be more enthusiastic, especially after the Aaron Burr's, you know, fearsome bank gets him elected. After that, his attitude changes quite a bit. Murphy says his work is relevant to the present day because the evolution of how politics works in this country could provide us with better recommendations of how a nation of 300 million people could work. People find novel ways to get influence in politics, um, but it's always sort of been there. And to, you know, often we're under the illusion that uh, politics back then was somehow more pure or more noble or that there weren't interests involved. Uh, and there are always interests involved. It's just a question of how they express themselves. You know, there was a time when people didn't uh, use political parties, but they learned how to, and the sort of thing I'm looking at is how they learned to use political parties and live with political parties. You know, they didn't expect them to happen. And then a lot of people were very uncomfortable with them when they were founded, uh, but they were there to stay. And so the question was, what do we do with parties? How do we interact with them? How do we make them useful? By exploring possible answers to these questions, the decisions made during the Jeffersonian era can serve as guideposts as we ask questions about contemporary politics. And looking back at the American founders is unique in the world, according to ICGS director Andrew O'Shaughnessy. Well, America is unusual in the importance given to the views of its original founders. Uh, in law, for example, you have the debate about original intent and concern that we interpret the Constitution according to the original intention of these founders. The Robert H. Smith International Center for Jefferson Studies will be accepting a new class of fellows later this year. For more information, visit Monticello.org. I'm Sean Tubbs reporting.